0: Well, again, happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, Those of you that might be first-time dads, uh, special congratulations to you on this Father's Day. And for others of you that this might be your first Father's Day uh, without your dad, uh, just know that I've prayed uh, for you this week and even this morning. Um, For those of you that maybe are still waiting to be a dad, you desire to do that, but you aren't a dad yet, uh, I've prayed for you as well. And maybe for some of you, um, you think of Father's Day and, and great memories don't come to mind because you didn't have a good father, just want to encourage you that um, God's word says that those that don't have a father, that God is a father to the fatherless and that he is a good father and a perfect father. So if your earthly father has failed you, just remember that your heavenly father will never fail you. And so praise the Lord for that. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Acts chapter 4, hope you brought your Bible with you. We're going to be walking through this text kind of verse by verse, highlighting different things in here. We've been going through the series that we started last week on praying the Bible. And last week we looked at Jesus and how Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he prayed Psalm 22. He prayed, "My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And even finished that with, it is finished when he died on the cross Which is where Psalm 22 ends with, It is done. The work of salvation is done. So Christ modeled this idea of praying the Bible. We're gonna see the early church today in Acts chapter 4 does the same thing. And the reason why I wanna highlight this is because this whole idea of praying the Bible, it's not something new, it's not something revolutionary. This is something that was found in the early church, found in our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so this is something that we wanna model. And just if you weren't here last week and Uh, We handed out the books of five ways to pray for your church. Just remember, they're still out in the Welcome Center. If you didn't get one on the way in, pick one of those up. Make that a part of your just daily devotions throughout this summer as we pray for our church. Every one of those starts with a passage of Scripture and then guides the points of your prayer out of that passage. So it's going to be a sweet resource to you as we go throughout the summer and we look at praying the Bible. But today we're in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to be in verse 23, but let me set it up for you just a little bit and going back to Acts chapter 3 so you can know the context and what's going on. So Acts chapter 3, um, you, you find Peter and John have healed a lame man. Some of you might be familiar with uh, that story where this man is asking um, to, to, to receive money because he can't work and earn it. And this lame man who's there, the response from the disciples is, silver and gold have I none what I have, I give to you. And they actually heal the man. Uh, so it's, a, it's an amazing story. People should be excited about it. And they go and they tell the gospel and say, look at what God does. He heals not just our bodies but our souls. And people push back. And you find persecution. And you find the disciples, Peter and John, are thrown into prison because of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So they're pulled before this uh, this. Judgment crowd full of people in the Sanhedrin, and they threaten them and tell them, Do not speak about Jesus again. And so that's kind of the setting. And as they get out of prison, they run back to the church, and this is where we find them in verse 23. So this is what the word of the Lord says When they were released, that's the disciples who were thrown in prison. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and here's their prayer, this is what they are praying. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who though, th- and through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then they're actually in this prayer going to quote, Psalm chapter 2. Why did the, na- or the Gentiles rage, or your Bibles might say nations rage, and why did the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders to perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, at this place which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak. The word of God with boldness. This is the word of God. Let's pray this morning. Sovereign Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the one who has created all things and sustains all things. Lord, you have created us. You have created us in your image to reflect you and to proclaim your glory. But Lord, we confess that it's a difficult thing to do. It's far easier for us to hide in fear instead of to proclaim your excellencies. So Lord, in your patient goodness, would you help us today to understand your word and to rightly respond to it today and This week, let me invite you to pray in this moment of silence from your heart, pray that God would speak to you, that you would understand this passage and that you would live it out this week. Would you pray to him now? Lord Jesus, you use the week to show your greatness. You forgive sinners to show you're a merciful Savior. And so, Lord, I ask today, this morning, that you would do both of those things, that we would clearly see you and know you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, as I'm reading this, this is fascinating to me this week. Because as I'm reading this, remembering the context of everything that's going on, that the disciples have been in prison, they've been persecuted and they get out of prison, and the first thing they do is they run to the church. And it tells us in the first couple of verses that they're telling them everything that's happened. We healed this man. We preached the gospel. We were put in before this council that judged us, and we were thrown into prison. And the church's response is just not my heart's response. I wish that it was. I wish it was. I hope it's yours. I hope it's yours. But what I find is, is it's just not the same. You see, they go to the church, and when they hear this news, what they do is they pause and they pray. That's the first thing that they do, is they pray about it. You know what I would be doing if I was in the situation? I'd be putting a plan together. We've got to get a plan to figure this out. Persecution's coming, suffering's coming, and you know what, Peter, John, you were like really important guys in the early church. Church is not really big right now, and so you know what, we need a security plan, Let's put a plan in place. First, we're going to separate the two of you. You can't ever be together because if both of y'all get thrown into prison, it's bad news for the church. So, Peter, you get this side of the city. You know, John, you can get this side or maybe one of you moves outside the city. Okay, so let's have a security plan. You know what? We need a security team to go with that plan. We need the the little guys there with the suits and then the little earbuds in so they know what's going on and they can protect you and lead you where you're supposed to go because, man, we cannot lose you two guys. You are far too important to the mission and the ministry of the, of the kingdom. You, you can't do it, right? My default would be like, let's put a plan together. But the church, when they hear all of these things, they hear about prison and they hear about unjust judgment and they hear about all these different things, their first response to this news is they prayed. They prayed. It's amazing. They understood in the early church the great responsibility we have to pray. And not just responsibility, but the great privilege it is to pray in troubled times. And I hope, I hope today as we examine their prayer, prayer life, that it changes our prayer life. That we would look at prayer as the privilege for which it is. Yes, a responsibility and a great responsibility, but a great privilege to come to God in troubled times. And the way I want to do it is by asking us three questions. As we walk through this passage, I want to ask three questions of it and let those three questions, as we answer them, shape and form and mold our prayer lives. And the first question is this. Who do we pray to? Who do we pray to? Now, when I when I say this, who do we pray to? Some of you are thinking, well, that's a stupid question. <laughs> that's a stupid question. Of course, that's a no-brainer, Ryan. We we pray to God, right? Why would you even ask that question? Well, I think it's interesting here in Acts 4, the believers spend five verses telling God who he is before they ever ask him for anything. Five verses. Why would they do that? It, does God need to know who He is? You know, is, do we need to fill God in a little bit on who He is so maybe He'll hear our prayers? You know, give Him some information that He doesn't know. Is that that the point? No. What Scripture is telling us here is that if we're going to pray, we need to know the God in whom we pray to. We need to know who He is because knowing who He is will lead us to pray in the right ways. It will lead us to correct prayers. And they start and they call Him the Sovereign Lord in verse 24. And this is where their prayer begins. They lift their voices and they say, Sovereign Lord. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who is over all amidst all the disarray of acts chapter 3 and acts chapter 4 they gather together as a church family and they start and the first words that come out of their mouth in this prayer is sovereign lord you are in control this is this doesn't seem right you're going to talk about in your prayer that he's a sovereign lord when the followers of him have been persecuted and thrown into prison, it sure doesn't feel like God is sovereign in this moment. It sure doesn't feel like God is in control. But see, it wasn't about the feeling. It was about the fact. It was about the reality, the truth in which they knew. And so even though their hearts may not have felt that God was sovereign, that he was the Lord, that he was above all, they knew it to be true because God's word had revealed it. And so they start with their doubts. They start with their struggles. God, it feels like this world is out of control. And Lord, we look to you for you are sovereign. You're in control. You're the one that leads, you're the one that guides, you're the one that provides. Lord, we are looking to you. And even when their feelings and their hearts say that God isn't there, He's not sovereign. They allow their minds to go back to the Word of God, to remember that He is the Lord, to remember why He is in control. See, their hearts needed, needed to know this truth. You see, because this broken world full of sin and chaos can oftentimes shroud our minds to the true reality, to the true reality. And so they start to talk about God's word to remind us of who the Lord is. And they start in Genesis chapter 1. Did you notice that? Right after they say, Sovereign Lord, they go to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. The one who created and made everything. He made heaven and he made earth. Look at this, all found in verse 24. He made the sea and everything that is in them. He is over all these things because He created them all. He made everything. The heaven above, the skies, the earth below, the sea. God is the one who created it. And remember, remember how God created it. He created everything with the power of His words. And He created it out of nothing. If you go and study Genesis, that's what what it means, out of nothing. God created it with just words that He has spoken because that is the power of our God. You see, we as humans, we can build skyscrapers, but it takes many workers and many months and a lot of materials. But the sovereign Lord created everything with a word. He created everything with a word. So when the early church is here and they are filling Small and insignificant as nothing. They are praying, remembering that God can do amazing things from nothing. That's who our God is. He's the sovereign Lord. See, creation is just a looking glass by which we see the power and the might and the goodness of God shining forth. So the church prays Genesis 1. God is the creator of heaven and earth, the sea, everything that's in it. But they also realize the, the truth. It doesn't feel like God is still in control. He might have created it all, but it still is a heart struggle that He is in control. And so they turn to Psalm chapter 2. You see, God didn't just make people, but God rules over them. And that's what Psalm 2 is talking about. See, I, I love what, what they're doing there. They're thinking and meditating on God's word, and they they use it, and then they even connect it to their present day times. See, in Psalm 2, David is in pain, and he's suffering, and there's all these different people that are raging and plotting against God's people, and against the Lord, and against his nation, and so David writes this psalm, and he feels the weight of this, and the early church quotes that, and they feel the weight of this. Man, it seems like all of our rulers are against us, and the nation's against us, and we seem so small and insignificant. They even get... Tangible here and mentioning the leaders' names that they feel like are lording over them. Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. All this is going against the Lord. But they're remembering all the way back to Psalm 2. When David and the people of the Lord felt like God was out of control at that point, God's word comes to them and says, no, no, they might rage against the Lord. They might rage against him and plot against him, but the Lord is sovereign. And those that come to him, Psalm 2 talks about those that come to him and find refuge in him find peace. Find peace. And I love, I love how he continues to, to talk about their trust in the Lord's sovereignty. In verse 28 it says, Lord, these people who rage in war against you, They do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. God, you are not out of control. You're not weak. You're not fragile. You are powerful and mighty. And your hand and your plan are going to take place. It's going to happen. You see, even though the the people rally against us or persecute or there's tribulation or there's suffering in our life... None of those things cause God to be less than God. He is still God. He is still powerful. He's still moving things to the appointed end. He's still sovereign. He's still Lord. He's still very, very powerful. Think about the power of God. It's a powerful thing to have your enemies do your bidding while working against you, right? But that's what we find That's how the Bible is describing the Lord. Who is he? He is the sovereign Lord who is in control. He's in control. Now, this does not relieve us from our responsibility to pray. In fact, this is the very reason that we pray. Do you realize that? This claim of who the Lord is, this is the very reason why we pray. He is the sovereign Lord. If our God was too weak and too frail and too fragile to to do anything about our prayers, then why even take time to pray to him? Why? He can't do anything about it. He's too weak, right? If he's not sovereign, if he's not over all of these things, then then why should I take time to pray and ask him to provide for me? Pray and ask him to lead me because he doesn't know and he can't guide these things. But this passage is telling you and it's telling me that our God is the sovereign Lord. That he is guiding things according to his plan. That he is working even when we can't even see him working. This is who our Lord is. This is why we pray. This is why God says, cast all, all of your cares upon me. For I care for you. Because he is strong. He is the Lord God Almighty who can carry any weight or any suffering in our lives. This is who the Lord is. As I'm reading this this week and thinking about this, this reality comes to my mind and I want it to come to yours this morning. Did you know that the way that you pray reveals what you believe about God? Did you know that the way that you pray reveals what you believe about God? What is your prayer life? What is my prayer life? Say that I believe about God. See, the early church looks and they believe that the Lord is the sovereign God. And so they're praying against all odds. This government is far bigger than they are and they're praying, Lord, move. They're like, we're so small and we're so seemingly insignificant. How can anything happen? Because it doesn't, it's not weighted on them, it's weighted on the power and might of the Lord. And so they pray to the Lord who is sovereign. What does your prayer life say that you believe about God? Some of you might think, well, I didn't really pray this last week. Which, let me just be honest with us for a second, that means that you really don't believe in God. Now, I know you're here this morning, and so you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be tuning in online if if you didn't believe in a God, but if you don't pray, then you're not saying that, he is the Lord who is sovereign, that he really matters in your life. Some of us, as we look at our prayer lives from this last week, we would say, man, they're weak, or maybe they're wimpy prayers. We, we pray maybe just an inch above our heads. We, we pray for, for things that probably would come to pass whether we prayed them or not. We pray for things that are within our control, things that, man, if I pray that I can do this, I can fulfill this. You see, many of us, we don't pray big, bold prayers because we're just praying to ourselves. You see, we don't, sit here and pray for missionaries around the world because we're like, well, I'm not going to go to that place in Indonesia. I'm not going to go to that place in Africa. So why should I pray? I can't make any impact or change. And it's because your prayers are ending with yourself. Or you may not pray for our nation because you're thinking, I'm not a politician. So I'm not going to be able to change things. So why do I even pray? Do you realize that you're directing everything back to you and your power and your might and not the sovereign Lord Almighty? Some of us don't pray for the church because you think, well, I'm not a pastor, so I'm not going to change anything within the church. So why should I pray for those things? They're not going to fix anything. We are not, and I include myself in this, we are not praying to ourselves. We are praying to the sovereign Lord. And so we pray for his might and his ability to act in all these areas that we can't. That's part of the reason why we pray for these things, because we know that we cannot change them. That they're beyond our ability, but they are not beyond His ability. Some of us, we looked at our prayer life over the last week or month. We have very formalized, memorized prayers that we pray over and over again. We don't even think about them anymore. This tells you what you believe about the Lord if you pray like that. Some of us don't believe that we have a personal Heavenly Father who loves us and desires to interact with us, have a relationship with us, We feel like God is a distant judge just looking to zap people. And so we just try to stick to memorized prayers and pray those up, hoping that they'll do something. If that's you and that's your heart, let me just say, if you feel like God is distant, it might be because you're following Him at a distance. Draw near to the Lord. Make your prayers personal. These prayers in the early church are extremely personal. They have pain in their heart and they're lifting it up in prayer to the Lord. They're looking at a passage and they're praying this passage and reminding their their, their minds of the goodness and greatness of God. And they're even using modern day leaders who they're thinking about as they think about this passage in Psalm 2, that the God who's over the kings in the times of the Psalms is over the kings in their times in the Roman culture. They're remembering all of that. They're remembering all of that. So what does our prayer life say about what we believe in the Lord. Does your prayer life proclaim that the Lord is the sovereign God? He's the sovereign God. Because this is the one to whom we pray to. You see, the early church prayed very theocentric prayers. And we see that the, the church also doesn't just pray to God in very theocentric prayers, but he also praise countercultural things. We see that the church is going to pray transforming power of God over their city and over the world because they believe that He is the sovereign God who can do all these things. And So what do they pray for? What do they pray for? And ultimately, how does this help us pray? So that's the second question. What do we pray for? And there's three things that we find the early church praying for that we should reflect in our prayer life even today. The first is this, the opportunity to speak Christ. The opportunity to speak Christ. In verse 29, they're praying to the Lord and they say to the Lord, Lord, look at their threats. And you can read in detail in chapter 4 what those threats were that the people had made. But they're just saying, if you talk about Christ again, we're throwing you in prison. And their response is like, okay, we can either serve you or we can serve the Lord, but we can't do both because you're telling us different things. The Lord has called us to proclaim his good news, the gospel to others. You're telling us to not do that, and we've got to choose. And as they pray to the Lord, they're like, Lord, these threats are coming our way. Think about them. Know them. You're telling us to do this, guy, but it goes counterculture. It goes completely against what our culture is telling us to do. And what I find fascinating is that notice, nowhere... Nowhere in Acts chapter 4 do you see them praying for the persecution to stop. At no point. No point in Acts chapter 4 do you pray, do you see them praying, God, would you just bring the wrath down on these leaders? Would you just destroy them? Would you just wipe them out? Because they're getting in the way. They're getting in the way of your mission. That's, That's not what you find. At no point do you find in this prayer or in the entirety of Acts chapter 4, them lamenting and weeping and crying because of all the pain and the suffering and persecution they're going through. You don't see that. Instead of praying to escape the trial that they're in, they're praying for the ability to stand up under the trial. Did you catch that? That is a weird way for Americans to pray. Let's just be honest. That's weird. We cling to comfort and pleasure, and they don't even mention those things in this prayer. They don't pray to escape it, but that God would enable them to endure it, to thrive in it. Man, this is a powerful, bold prayer that they're lifting up to the Lord. It's powerful. And that's the second thing that they pray for is boldness. They pray that they would continue to share the gospel, that proclamation would, would go forward, that we would be able to speak your word, verse 29 says. But then they said, may we speak it with boldness. Why? Because they know the very fear that would steal their hearts is found in ours. They know, God, it would be so much easier if we just would listen to their threats and just keep our mouths shut and let's just stay in a holy huddle and we'll be good. Like that's a a, a very peaceful place. They, they could stay there. And so they know they're bent and their heartbeat to, to, to hiding instead of proclaiming. And so they say, God, don't just give us opportunities to speak your word. Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak your truth. Man, we desperately, I desperately need that. Man, we need to be praying, God, would you help us to speak boldly when we know that we'll be mocked? Would you help us to speak up when a culture doesn't want to hear it and would cancel us for it? Would you help us to speak up when you know, when we know, that it's going to cost us something? This is a bold prayer that they're praying. Oh, that we would pray bold prayers. Even this past week as I'm reading this and thinking about this, at bed at night before we go to sleep, I told my wife, I was like, we've got to pray bolder prayers. We've got to. Like, what are some bold prayers that we can lift up for our family and for our church? I I want to be a part of a church that's praying bold prayers, expecting God to answer them. I want to be a part of a church that's proclaiming bold prayers that we look back and we're like, we didn't have the ability, we didn't have the power to to do those things. It, It was God. It was all about Him and His glory and His name. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of and pray alongside. Do we pray boldly to the Lord? Man, and as I was thinking about different bold prayers, I honestly believe one of the boldest prayers that we will ever pray or could ever pray in our life is the prayer of forgiveness for our sins. Think about how simple that is many times to say, Man, pray and confess your sins before the Lord and he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. Like, think about that. We say that so easily, but... That is a bold, bold prayer. If you know who the Lord is. If you know that He is the Holy One, and there's no one like Him, that He can't be in the presence of sin. When you know that we have hardened our hearts, and that we have rebelled, and we are so prone to, prone to wander away from Him. And not just wonder, but rebel against Him. Commit, commit treason against Him. And to come before the King who you've committed treason against, and ask for forgiveness? That is a bold prayer. And for some of us, we need to pray that for the very first time today. She would come and say, God, I am not worthy, but you are worthy. And I approach the throne of grace in confidence. Why? Because of who I am? No, because of who He is. You see, our God loves to answer bold prayers. He loves to. Read the Bible page after page is him answering bold prayers of his people. And so when we pray, God, would you save us? When you see all the prayers in the Old Testament of God, bring the Messiah. Bring the rescuer. Bring the one who will hear and and save us. This is the answer that Jesus Christ has come. That is where our confidence rests, that we can approach the throne of grace and ask forgiveness, to pray the bold prayer, not in our ability, but in his ability. Because he's a good and gracious God who loves to save. He doesn't just love to save and just forgive once. He changes and transforms our lives. You see, that's the third thing that they pray for. They pray, God, give us an opportunity to speak your word. All that we would pray, God, give me an opportunity. Give me a chance this week to speak the good news of you to others. And help me to do it with boldness. When the opportunity comes, Lord, give me the boldness to step forward and to take that opportunity. But then in verse 30, they pray as they're doing that, as they're sharing the good news of God's word, as they're boldly proclaiming it, they're asking that God will continue to change lives. He says, while you stretch out your hand and heal, that's transformation. You come with your signs and your wonders that you perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. All of this in verse 30 is transformation. They're praying, God, we know that we're small, seemingly insignificant. but We're asking that we would be able to share the gospel. And when we share this good news of your word and your truth, God, we're asking that you would change lives. We can't do it. We can't change, we can't transform, we can't heal, we can't do signs, we can't do wonders. We cannot do any of these things. Only you can transform and change the heart. Transform and change the body. Only you can do that, oh Lord. So Lord, would you move? Would you transform? Would you change? So with each one of these, the application point is for us. Let us pray for opportunities and then watch intently for God to answer and give us opportunities. Let us pray for, for boldness. Let us pray. And then let us pray bold prayers that only God alone can answer. So when he does, we look and we give him all credit and all glory because it's through him that he has answered. And that we would pray that God's kingdom would advance and that lives would be changed through his power in his mind there's one more question i want us to look at and see in this passage and it's this what should we expect when we do pray when we do pray like this what's the expectation well you see three expectations fulfilled in verse 31 things that we should look for in our lives as well first you find god's power to shake when we pray, we should expect God's power to shake. Look at verse 31. It starts and it says, and when they had prayed, they're wrapping it up here. When they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, was shaken. Now, is this just like a Hollywood special effects? Is this like just a nice touch that God kind of like put in there? Maybe it was like a thunderclap or maybe it was a bolt of lightning, right? Right? That would be a nice effect. But it's not that. It's not a Hollywood stunt. This is a shaking of the soul. And yes, there could have been a shaking of the the building that was there, but this is a massive shaking that is happening. And this shaking is a theophany. And that's where God shows up. When you ever see God show up, you see so many times that there's power in his presence. And when he comes in that power, it shakes things visibly. You go back to Exodus 19, and when God came down on the mountain, literally the mountain shook. He crowned it with smoke and fire. And we find in Hebrews chapter 12 that the earth shook at the voice of the Lord. This is displaying God's power in his presence. So it could be a literal shaking, but we know because of what happens in the church, it is a shaking of the soul that happens as well. The shaking of the soul. And this is what God is doing. He's moving in incredible ways. This is not a, if we'll just pray this prayer that they prayed in early church, these are magical words that we can kind of sprinkle in, and, and then this place is going to be shaking, and we're going to have an amazing worship service. That's not what I believe that this is saying. What I do believe it's saying is that when you have God's presence, and you see God's power, it will shake the city, this nation, it will shake your own Heart. See, this is what God desires for us to do to pray and then expect Him to move, to expect Him to do great things. He wants His name and His fame to be shared, He wants His glory to go to the ends of the earth. The gospel tells us that when every tribe and every tongue and every nation has heard the good news of Jesus Christ, then He will come again. And He's given us the power. To do this. So church that we would pray expecting that God's glory would be known from Concord, North Carolina to Indonesia and everywhere in between. That we would pray expecting God to shake souls and shake cities with his power. You also find that we should expect God's presence to fill. God's power is going to shake. God's presence is going to fill In verse 31, it says that they were filled with the Spirit. This isn't just a presence around them. This is a presence within them. The Holy Spirit is filling them up to accomplish the task that God has called them to. Now, Acts chapter 2 has already told us that the Spirit has come and is dwelling within them. But now there's a filling. There's a filling that is happening That will give them the boldness that they need. That will open up their eyes to see the opportunity that God has placed before them. You see, as we pray to the Lord, we ask and expect Him to fill us up with His Spirit. To lead us in His presence. This is what happens when we pray. We should expect it. Lastly, we should expect, as we pray, for God's mission to move forward. For God's mission to move forward. Look at the very end of verse 31. It says, after they've been filled with the Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And as I read that this week, I was so encouraged. Because, because they were able to continue to speak the word of God with boldness, I was able to hear the gospel today. Do you realize that? That if the gospel didn't move forward past the city, if nobody in the early church would left and continue to speak the word, then we would not have the gospel here in the 21st century. We wouldn't. It'd be snuffed out in that small city, in that small town. But they continued to speak the word. God continued to move his mission forward. God is bringing his mission forward. He's empowering it. He's shaking souls and hearts. And he's asking us to hop on board with what he's doing. To continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Because God's mission is moving forward. And praise God that it did from the first century to the 21st century. So today what we get the honor and the privilege to do as a church is pray over one of our mission teams that's going so if you're a part of the Guatemala stream, go ahead and make your way up the stage. You can be on my left side right here. We're grateful as a church that we can go. And the Great Commission calls us to go. And yes, wholeheartedly, Great Commission says while you're going, while you're going, while you're living your life, you're going to share the gospel. That's why I say so often, life on mission. This is not addition, this is intersection. Where you live your life, God has called you to proclaim boldly the gospel and the good news. But God didn't just say to stop in your neighborhood. The book of Acts at the very beginning says he wants the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And so we just want to be a part of the mission that God is doing, the things that he's moving forward with, the ways that he's advancing. We just want to take a part. And Lord willing, hopefully in our generation, we'll see the gospel go to ends of the earth where everybody will hear and know the name of Christ, and then Christ will come again. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And this is just one small way that we as a church, are wanting to, to fulfill the Great Commission that God has called us to do. So some of you guys know Bobby and Will, William Bird. Um, they are the missionaries that serve down there. They're here sometimes on Sundays, and then they're down there in Guatemala. It's been a great, uh, great story, if you haven't heard their story, just how God led them there, how the Sovereign Lord prepared their life and opened up doors and bold steps, bold steps. Uh, for years, Bobby actually served here, uh, working at a local business, and then would travel down there. So he was doing the bivocational thing for a long time. And God gave a great opportunity this last year for you to kind of focus specifically down there in Guatemala. And while he's down there, what he's doing is he's training up pastors. He's going to cities and villages where there's no gospel presence, there's no church, there's no Christians that they're aware of. And they're um, sharing the gospel, seeing people respond, and then they're training up pastors, building churches. And so our team is actually going down there mainly due to construction to build um, buildings that the church will be able to utilize and use to share the good news. And every year they get a a group of different pastors together from these different villages that Bobby's been able to impact to do pastoral training. And so it's been encouraging to see what God has done through you guys. I'm glad to have been a a little part of it and looking forward to what's ahead. But our team's excited to go. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to pray an Acts 4 prayer over us as we go on mission for him. So church family, let's bow our heads and let's pray for them now. Lord, we pray knowing that you are the sovereign God. Lord, we ask that you would encourage these people as they serve you. Lord, would you comfort them and provide for them as they go. God, give them opportunities, Lord, to love and to serve those believers who are down there, as well as maybe even opening up opportunities for them to share the good news of Jesus As they travel to and from, Lord, give them strength, give them boldness as they go from neighborhoods to nations. God, we thank you for your spirit that fills, that empowers us. We thank you for your hand that provides all that we need from the finances to the strength uh, to the removal of the fear that we have in our hearts as we travel. God, thank you for all of that. And we pray your blessing over this mission trip. We pray your blessing over this ministry in the weeks and the years ahead, to the glory of your name and your fame, O Sovereign Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.